All praises to the Most High Yah. I'm Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is the Pastor Richard Washington, and we say Shalom, Shabbat, Shabbat, Shalom. And welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. This is a podcast where we will study the Bible, the biblical covenant, and what that means for us today. We hope you not only study the Bible when listening to this podcast, but we encourage you to study the Bible outside of listening to this podcast, because as it states in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, Study to show yourself approved unto Elohim, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We should study to know the scriptures for ourselves and not just to listen to one person or a group of people. And the only way we can know the truth from error is through studying and searching the scriptures and letting Yah lead us. So if you're ready. Let's begin. Pastor, what do you have for us today? What we're going to continue to do is to look at what we call a support seat. Uh, Last week, we covered the support step, how we walk, and we supported the support stance of what we stand for. And this time, we want to complete this series by talking about the support seat where we sit, okay? So let's go into the study, and before we go into it, let us pray. Eternal Father, as we have come out of the Day of Atonement, we feel so refreshed that all of our sins have been forgiven. You've washed away our sins, you've forgiven our sins, and then on the Day of Atonement, you took all of our sins away. We feel free, free of all of the things, O Heavenly Father, that has plagued us. And now, Father, as we go into the Shabbat, we can come in clean, Clean not only physically, but clean internally, Lord, through the spiritual values that Yeshua has given us through his blood, which is his life, to be able to be the children that you would have us to be. And as we conclude this particular podcast and this particular series, that you would be each with each one of us, trusting that we will walk in the light, stand in the light, and sit in the light that you have given. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Okay, I'm again, I'm going to ask you to turn with me in the book of uh, Exodus uh, to one of the main, well, I wouldn't say the main text, but one of the pivotal texts that we've been using throughout the uh, discourse that we've been given. So in addition to the walking and the standing, David also uh, speaks uh, uh, about where we sit. Now let's turn, turn to, uh, let us turn to Exodus uh chapter 30, and we're looking at verse number 18, Exodus 30, 18. And here it says, And thou shalt also make a labor of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal, and thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. So what we're looking at is, it's the laver's foot. That's what we've been specializing on. And it was also made out of brass, So we have the brass foot, which we have discovered that brass represents suffering and the feet represent Yeshua's feet that was suffering for us. So let us now examine and explore what it means to sit. We refer to this part of our study as the supportive sitting, which is the third supportive function of the feet. We will refer to this third function of the feet as the supportive seat, the supportive seat. Now, in dealing with this, we want to uh, turn back to the text uh, that we were examining as it dealt with the supportive feet. And that was in the book of Psalms, the first division of the Psalms. And in the first division of the Psalms, we were looking at verse number one. And it says, blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Okay. So when we talked about the uh, walking in the, in the counsel of the ungodly, that's where we dealt with the supportive step. And then it goes on to say, and not stand, nor stand in the way of sinners. And that's where we dealt with the supportive stance. Okay, now the latter part of this says, 
uh, it says, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, okay? So this is the latter part that we deal with the supportive seat where we are sitting, and so we want to uh, consider that. So here David, under inspiration, speaks not only about our step and stance, but also where we sit. In order for a person to sit properly, one's feet must be situated aright. In speaking, in, in speaking about sitting, there are at least three things that are involved in it. Now, the first of the three we are concerned ourselves with is what we refer to as seating posture. Okay, so when we look at the seat, the supportive seat, we want to look at three things. And the first one is the seating posture. Now, when David speaks about sitting in the seat of the scornful, he is merely giving a contrasting lifestyle of sitting with the sanctified. So you can sit with people who are doing a lifestyle of evil, or you can sit with the people who are doing a lifestyle of sanctification. Because when we look at the labor, the labor held up, it was held up by the feet. So whatever we do in life is held up by how we uh, have a, have, how we uh, walk and how we stand, and now we're dealing with how we, we are sitting. Now, when David says in Psalms uh, chapter 1 and verse, uh, verse 1, when he says, Noah sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now, to be scornful is to be insulting, to disdain, or to be rude, or to be contemptuous, to be of a demeaning individual, to be of a demeaning or the type of a demeaning person, one has to take on a scornful posture. This posture we take has to do with how we sit. As the foot supports the labor, it supports the very thing that brings us to the labor which is our sins for cleansing. Now, what we notice about the labor is that when the priests would make a sacrifice, they would go to the labor and they wash their hands and their feet because they were soiled either with uh, contamination or some of the fluids and stuff that came out of the body of the animal when they slayed. You would have urine, you would have excrement, and you would have blood coming out of the body and if they would get any of that on their hands, Elohim said they need to wash it off. They need to be clean because if you're not clean and dealing with my sacrifices, uh, it is at the expense of death. I'll drop you dead. And if you remember the story of uh, Ananias, not Ananias, but the story of the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, when they came in unclean and they was offering things they shouldn't be offering, he struck them dead, and the other two sons of Aaron had to take their place. So it was a dangerous thing to try to carry on the work of Elohim by not being clean, so they had to clean. They had to clean their hands and their feet. Now, when something is dirty, that represents sin. The excrement and the urine and the blood, that was sinful stuff. That was sin. So they had to go to the labor and to wash their feet of the way they walk, they had to wash their hands of the things that they did because the hands represent work, but the feet represented how they walk, and the feet also represent how they were sitting. And so when they washed, they was washing away the sin so they could be clean. So the sinful blood of the animal sacrifice is the very blood that testifies to our posturing with sin. When we carry ourselves in a sinful way, we are plainly showing that we are sitting in the seat of the scornful. When we become relaxed and comfortable in participating in activities of sinful behavior, our feet are holding up transgression. The foot of the brazen labor is there 
to hold up a life of forgiveness of sin, not a life of living in sin. So when we come to the labor, we are washing away sin, not to continue to indulge in it. So our feet, as David says, should not be with the scornful, but it should be with the righteous. And David not only is speaking of our seating posture, but he speaks inclusively of our seating position. He not only looks at our posture, how we stand or how we are sitting, but he looks at the position. So let us look at the position in seating. So the next point of dealing with the uh, supportive seat is not only the posture, but we want to deal with the position, the seating position. When we speak about the seating position, where one puts oneself in a certain type of position, David is speaking also of the putting ourselves in a uh, sinful position. There is such a thing as positioning oneself to do good or to do evil. In this case, David is referring to, he is referring, what his reference to is where one positions oneself to do evil. When you put, put yourself in a position to do evil, then when you, when you set or when you sit, then your position is in a direction of doing evil. So when he says here, nor sit it in the seat of the scornful, he is talking about people who have positioned themselves to do evil. We know that from the scriptures that Yeshua had earned the title of, and let's look at that. He had a certain title. Let's turn to the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, we want to look at the 15th chapter, Luke chapter 15. Here in Luke chapter 15, uh, we want to look at uh, verse number 30, Luke 15, 30. Okay, now here's what it says. Uh, it says, no, I had the wrong chapter, even though that's speaking somewhat to what we want to say. I wanted Luke, Luke 5, chapter 5. Let's go to Luke chapter 5 and, and verse 30, Luke 5, 30. Okay, now here's what Luke 5, 30 says. It said, but, the, the, but their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Yeshua said in verse 31, And Yeshua answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. In other words, they had branded him in verse 30 as a person that eateth and drinketh with sinners. And so they were trying to call him a sinners. They were trying to say he is sitting with sinners. Because David said, you don't sit in the seat of the scornful. And they were trying to accuse him of sitting with the scornful. Okay. They say he eats and drinks with publicans and sinners. Now, publicans were the people who was disdained. They were outright uh, those who were the tax collectors, and they were the outcasts of society. And then not only that, they said, you know, your master, he's downright getting down with sinners. So even though Yeshua found himself frequently in the company of those considered to be lawbreakers and transgressors, yet he didn't engage in sin, but he positioned himself to do Yah's will. See, there's a difference. You can be among sinners to do what they're doing, but he was not there to do what they were doing. He was there to instruct them to do the things that he was doing. So even though he was eating with publicans and sinners, he was not engaging in their activities. And one of my favorite writers, she says that even though Yeshua cohabitated with, I'm just paraphrasing, even though he cohabitated with sinners, he did not break one principle of the word of the Torah or doing anything that would displease his father. Yes, he was with sinners, but he was sitting in the seat of righteousness, not in the seat of scornfulness. So he was positioning himself among them to be able to teach them the truth. However, when individuals position themselves to be 
in company with sinners and do as they do by participating in their sinful practice, this is not what the bruised feet of Yeshua were. They were to they were to uphold righteousness, not sinfulness. But rather, he was supporting the position of a person having sinned, seeking salvation to a to abstain from it is what the suffering feet of Yeshua seeks to hold up. He hold up righteousness, not holding up sinfulness. And so even when he was among sinners, he did not uphold scornfulness or sinfulness or shame. He uphold righteousness, sanctification, and, 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 and righteousness, sanctification, and the principles of truth. That's what he upheld even among sinners. Therefore, David says, blessed is a man that sits, <clears throat> that sits not in the, in the seat of the scornful. And another was, <clears throat> and another was of his happy, he, in other words, he was saying, blessed, and the word blessed means happiness. And this blessedness that he was talking about Another way of saying the same thing that David was saying, like David said, blessed is the man that sits not in the seat of the scornful. But another way of saying the same thing is uh, happy is the person who doesn't position oneself to be comfortable with those who are scornful to Yahuwah. Now, the third thing we are mindful of is not only the posture and the position, but the third thing about the feet is the seating place. Where where are we? Wh what is the place that we are in? What place are we sitting in? This has to do with both where we go to and the places we engage in sinful life. See, there are places that you can go that they advocate sinful life. So when David says, blessed is the man that sits not in the seat of the scornful, it has as much to do with the place as much as the posturing and the positioning. To go to places that promote unrighteousness and to be comfortable in such sitting is what is being forbidden. Moreover, one need not to go from one's home to be in a place of scorn. It could be in your own home that you're in places that are scornful. It could be found in front of places like the television, the radio, or internet. You can be in a place where they are carrying on sinful activities. This seat of the scornful involves any and every place that promotes that which is not of Yeshua's righteousness, any place, your home or abroad. With the people of Yah, their place will be with those who seek to be, to be in places both at home and abroad, which promote of righteousness, holiness, and sanctification. We find such a place which supports these things at a place in the scriptures they call Golgotha. So let, let us turn, let us turn in the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John. John, the 19th uh, chapter. And in John, the 19th chapter of the book of John, we're going to look at verse 17. Now here the Bible says, and he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. Okay. Now what we find here is that uh, John, Mark, and Matthews, they all use Golgotha. But when Luke, who was writing to a lot of the people who were Greeks or people who were not Jews, 
he didn't use the word Golgotha. He used the word Calvary. Now, the word Calvary means the place of a skull, and the place called Golgotha also are talking about the place of a skull. So Calvary means skull, and Golgotha means skull. Golgotha is Hebrew, and the other is no doubt uh, Greek or another language. But they are talking about the same place. But the point we are pointing out is if we want to get at a place that we want to sit down with Yeshua and learn of him, we have to go through Golgotha. What's so important about Golgotha? Well, in Gospel of John, the 19th chapter, verse 18, tells us what is so important about that. So let's look at the importance. Where they crucified him, that's where they crucified him, and two others with him on either side and Yeshua in the midst. Okay? So that's why it's important, because that's where he's crucified. And when we get to gazing upon his crucifixion, what we are gazing upon is not only why he died, but also the means of giving us the salvation because he did die. And as a result of that, when we meditate upon that, we see why he died. He died for sin. So if we continue in sin, then we make his sacrifice of none avail. But if we can follow in his teachings, then that means his sacrifice was not in vain because he died for our sins, not to die for us to continue to sin, but he died for us because we sinned. And as a result of cleansing us, and we accept his life in exchange for our old life of justification, of giving him the old life, and he gives us a new life in him, then this means that when we study his feet, because his feet had a spike driven through it, and his feet held up his whole body, just like the, the brazen feet of the labor held up the whole body of the labor, his feet held it up. And so when we think about his truth, we have to be thinking about his stance, his step, and his seat. So let us daily visit the place called Golgotha so that our posturing, positioning, and placing ourselves in a redemptive sitting, we want to constantly sit where he sat, and at Golgotha, the crucified feet of our Savior are where we should be seated to learn of him. And when we can sit at his feet, we can learn of him. Now, let us turn to the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, we want to look at the eighth chapter, Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, and we want to look at verse number 35, Gospel of Luke, 8.35. Now notice what it says here in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 8 and verse 35 said, Then they went out to see what was done and came to Yeshua and found the man out of whom the devils were departed sitting at the feet of Yeshua clothed in his right mind and they were afraid. So it was this man who was mentally deranged, but he came to Yeshua, and Yeshua was able to clear his mind up. And when we look at the time in which we are living with the coronavirus, with wars all over the world, and when we look at the earthquakes and the floods that are coming all over the earth, it, it, it puts your mind uh, in, in knots, loved ones dying, people close to you fighting and fussing, all of these things, they, they, they try to uh, just play mind games, and you get all wrapped up in this stuff. But this man who had mental derangement came to Yeshua, and he found out that Yeshua was a mind regulator because the Bible says here, and they went out to see what was done, and it came to Yeshua and found this man who had a deranged man, out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Yeshua, and they say he was closed in his right man. So if he was closed in his right man, the other man that he had was demon-possessed, and the Bible says about us 
let this man be in you that was in Yeshua, the Messiah. So when we get his mind, we get a man of peace. The Holy Spirit gives us peace. Elohim is the father of peace. And Yeshua, he's the prince of peace. So you got the prince of peace, which is Yeshua. You got the Holy Spirit that gives us peace. And you got the father who is the father of peace. So when we get that mind, it's become a mind regulator. But in order to get that mind, we must learn to sit at his feet. And when we sit at his feet, then he can give us the things that our minds need. Now let us turn in the same book of Luke. And we want to turn to the 10th chapter, Luke chapter 10. And we want to look at verse number 39, Luke 10, 39. And notice what it says. It said, and she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Okay, so this is Mary and Martha. And this was about the time and what they were doing, a lot of serving, and Yeshua was coming. Martha kept serving, and when Yeshua showed up, Mary stopped serving. And she went, says the Bible in verse 39, she went and sat at his feet. We got to learn how to sit at his feet, uh, beloved brothers and sisters, because when we sit at his feet, he's going to teach us a lot of things. And he said, when she sat at his feet and heard his word. Now, isn't that interesting? She sat at his feet and heard his word. So Mary sat at his feet and heard his word. And not only was she hearing the word, but she was seeing the word because Yeshua is the word. Therefore, when he spoke to her of the word, he was speaking of he himself. So he is the word and he speaks the word. And through that, she was getting a comfort. And if you read this story, he says in verse number 42, he said, but one thing is needful of Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. So what was the good part that would not be taken away from her? That was the word. The word sustained us. And if you remember when Lazarus was dead and they was mourning as to uh, why hadn't Yeshua come to raise or to be with Lazarus before he died. But the Bible says he purposely waited a few days until a rigor, market, a rigor mortis was about to set in and gangrene was about to set in. And he let her know that he was the resurrection and the life. It didn't make a difference whether he was late or on time. But he wanted to strengthen the faith of the disciples to know that when a person dies, we don't have to get all bent out of shape, even though we can sorrow, but we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. And he says that, I am the resurrection of life. I can do it now, and I can do it in the future. And the Bible says he went and he raised Lazarus from the dead. Why? Because he was the word. It was a word that brings life, and it's a word that once we die, it can bring back life again. And so when she chose that good part, she was choosing a word that would be able to help her through the stresses and the strain of life. Sometimes the reason why we all maxed out is because we don't take enough time to sit at his feet to sit at his feet to learn about his word. And when we do that, it settles us and help us to sleep at night, no matter how many things are going on, because we in his word. And when we get into his word, we get into Yeshua. And when we get into Yeshua, we get into the Holy Spirit. And when we get to the Holy Spirit, it connects with us with the Father. So with the Father's love coming through his spirit, and with Yeshua's love coming through his blood, it gives us all of the spiritual nutrients we need in order to be able to keep our sanity. Now let us turn to the Gospel of John again. In the Gospel of John, we want to look at chapter number 20, John chapter 20. And this particular 20th chapter of John, we want to look at verse number, verse number 12, okay, verse number 12. Still holding with the feet. Okay. Now, what, here's what it says. It says here in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 12, and seeth two angels in white sitting 
the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Yeshua had lain. Now, what I want you to notice about that, it says one angel was at his head and the others at his feet. Okay, now, isn't it wonderful that we have angels who guard our feet? Just as Yeshua did when he was in the tomb, he had an angel guarding his feet in the tomb. See, the angels guard our feet. So if they guard our feet, they, they're guarding our steps, they're guarding our stance, and they're guarding our sitting. That's, that's what they're doing. And when they sat at his feet, they were guarding his feet. Okay, now let us turn to Psalms. And in Psalms, we want to look at uh, the 91st division of, of, uh, of Psalms. Psalms, the 91st division. Now, here the psalmist is bringing out in Psalms 91, and we're looking at verses 11 and 12. Here's what the psalmist says. He said, for he shall give his angels charge over thee. Okay. So when we see these angels guarding his feet in the tomb, he has commissioned his angels to guard over Yeshua. Okay. And so he says, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all your ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy feet, thy foot against the stone. So he's saying angels guard where we are sitting, where we are standing, and where we are walking, that he sends his angels to guard our feet just like they were guarding the feet of Yeshua. So when we sit at his feet, we learn this, that he can guide our feet. Then, when we look at... Uh, when we look at verse 12, it says, it says, they shall bear thee up in their hands. Okay, why would they bear us up in their hands? He said they're going to bear us up in his hands, lest you dash thy foot against a stone. So in other words, he don't want you to stumble or to fall, so the angels take charge and they lift you up so that you won't hurt yourself. That's what he's saying. Now let us turn to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we want to look at uh, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And we want to look at a verse there in Revelation chapter 2. And the one we want to look at is 18, Revelation 2.18. Now here in Revelation 2.18, it tells us, and unto the angel, okay, we're dealing with an angel again. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These things said the Son of Man, who hath his eyes like a flame, like unto a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. So here we see the suffering feet of Yeshua again. Spoke of it in Revelations chapter 1. And now in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18, it says, and his feet like fine brass. So we know the feet is the, are the feet of Yeshua, and the brass is the suffering feet. So the suffering feet are guarded by the angels, and they help us to walk correctly in the way that the suffering of Yeshua walked. Now let us turn to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. And here in Revelation 22, we want to look at uh, a couple of verses as well. And we want to start with verse number 8. Revelation 22, 8. Now notice this, this, this particular scenario. It said, And I, John, saw these things and heard them, and when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Now notice here, this angel is not Yeshua. And we find that John, he fell down at the feet of an angel. 
And notice what verse 9 said. I want you to pay particular attention to verse 9. Then said he unto me, see thou doest not. Now what is the angel saying? He said, don't do that. So why shouldn't he bow down to you as an angel? You're far more superior than he is. But the angel said, no, 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 no. Don't you fall down and, and, and worship me. Why was that? Well, he continues to say, for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship Elohim. Okay, so he's saying, he said, I'm, I'm of your fellow brethren. I am of the prophets. And therefore, I keep the sayings of this book. He said, I'm one of the ones to keep the sayings of this book too. If you're going to worship, he said, worship Elohim. And that's what it's all about, worshiping Elohim. And as we worship Elohim, Elohim is getting the glory. So when we look at the feet of Yeshua, his suffering feet was to hold up the righteousness of Elohim. May we find ourselves daily sitting at Yeshua's feet. Let us walk, stand, and sit with Yeshua, constantly learning of him. Father in heaven, we need to learn how to sit at Yeshua's feet to learn of him. And we pray for each one this Sabbath day as we come out of the Day of Atonement into the Sabbath that we may continue to walk in the way that you would have us to walk, continue to stand in the place that you would have us to stand, and continue to sit in the place that you would have us to sit, that when Yeshua comes, he can find us, O Heavenly Father, in the path of righteousness. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Um, I want to go back now. You said uh, John was about to fall to the feet and worship the feet of the angel, and the angel said yeah, that. Do it not. Um, yeah, he said, do it not. And then he said that he's a servant basically on the same level as us. Yeah. When it comes to worship, the angels teach us how to worship. They worship him in the heavens. And hmm. uh, when he calls all the angels, all of them prostrate themselves before him. So the angel said, you know, you got it wrong, John. You, you can't worship me. Wow. Yeah. He said, you only worship Elohim. Mm -hmm. let, let me, in, in conjunction with your question, let, let, let me read this text. Let me read this text. Now, we live in the last days. Am I correct? Anybody know we live in the last days? Yes. And one of the last prophecies for the last days is found in Revelation 14. And it, it's in verse 7. He said, saying with a loud voice, fear Elohim. So when you talk about fearing Elohim, one of the first angels' messages is, is to fear Elohim. That means to worship him. Yeah. He's trying to get our worship off of leaders, off of political uh, uh, leaders and church leaders. He's trying to get us out of these denominations and these cults. Mm -hmm. who worship themselves, calling themselves reverend and all of this stuff, lifting themselves up, and people almost worship these people. He said, don't worship, don't worship these people. Mm. Don't worship them. You look at the coronavirus and all this stuff that people are talking about, look like they worship the virus more so than Elohim. <laughs> he said, yeah. he said, worship me. Worship me. He said, fear Elohim and give glory to him. So the first angel's message is putting worship on him. See, the whole book of Revelation is about who are you going to worship? You're going to worship Satan or you are you going to worship me? That's yeah. what the whole book is about. And then it says, for the hour of his judgment has come. What is he judging? He's judging you on the fact, on the day of atonement, are you walking with the devil or are you walking with me? If you're walking with me on, 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 a, on a day of, uh, of atonement, all your sins are going to be done away with. But if you're walking with the devil, I'm judging you and see that you're walking with him. How can you be clean? And then he goes on to say, worship him that made heaven and earth. And we know that's the fourth commandment. The fourth <laughs> commandment teaches us how to worship him. So the angels are simply saying, look, John, no matter how glorified I am and no matter how much glory I have and how much superior knowledge I have, and I knew Satan before you ever knew him, before he got cast out of heaven, I know him. 
And Satan, that was his problem. He wanted us to worship him. Yeah. And so this angel is saying, hey, wait a minute. You don't worship me. That's what Satan wanted to do. He mm. said, you worship Elohim and him only. Wow. Wow. That's powerful. You know, and also uh, I found it very interesting to tie in with uh, the guarding of Yahushua feet and that the angels guard our feet also. Now, is yeah, this right. something I, that I, if we're tied into Yah, basically our angels guard our feet? Because I know sometimes we go to certain places that we shouldn't. Do our do the mm-hmm. angels still guard our feet, or do some places the angel just like I can't go there with you? Uh, angel, let me put it this way: Angel, can, I, I, I've heard that they, they say there are some places you go, the angel is, is not with you. Uh huh. He's with you. He's with you. Mm-hmm. But if you insist on going places that you know is evil, he's still with you. Mm-hmm. But he is saying, since you're on the devil's ground, ain't too much I can do for you, but we record the sin in the book mm-hmm. of what you're doing. Oh, I'm there, but I'm okay. recording your sinful deeds. Oh. Okay. Now, let's look at it from this standpoint. When Eve sinned, let's look at when Eve, was, Eve sinned. Uh-huh. Now, he said, David said, blessed is a person who stands not uh, in, uh, in, a, in a sinful place, okay? Mm-hmm. So when Eve stood around the tree of, uh, of knowledge of good and evil, she was on the devil's ground. Satan couldn't follow her around the garden and try to tempt her. Uh-huh. He was given the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He, that's, that's what a serpent, that was a serpent's ground. So when she got on his ground and started talking to him, First place, when the serpent started talking to him, she should have got out of there. Wow. She shouldn't have had, 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 had a course with him on his ground. Uh-huh. And so when she started talking to her, that's how he seduced her because she was on his ground. So the angels, they may leave you. They don't have to leave you, but they can come in that sinful situation with you to help you to try to get out. But if you insist on staying there, he can record the deed that it, that has been done. Mm-hmm. But if you get on his ground, then you are telling Elohim that I'd rather to be with the devil. And Elohim said, my hand is short. If you're going to just purposely put yourself on his ground. Yeah. Now, uh, if he's telling you before you get on his ground to go this way, and you s- said, I'm not going to listen to the intuition of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and you go there purposely, is in a way he is saying that my angels leave you. He's not actually saying they're going to leave you. Yeah. But he is saying that you, you make him helpless because you put yourself on his ground. Now, when you stay on my ground and he try to get you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take care of him. So it's basically if they go some, if we were to go somewhere that we're not supposed to, just the protection is not there. Right. They are still there, but they're just, you know, my hands are tied. Mm-hmm. You, somewhere yeah, you shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Because you, you chose to be. Now, uh, now, just like when he tempted Yeshua in the wilderness, he said, go up on that building, uh, that temple and jump. Mm-hmm. And Yeshua said, it is written, man shall not tempt the hand of Elohim, but live by every word yeah. that proceeded out of his mouth. Because he knew the, the law that if you jumped off the temple, that you're going to hurt yourself. And he even quoted a scripture that I, I quoted in, in my particular discourse. He said, uh, he quoted him in the scriptures. He said, if... Uh, he said, the angels have charge of you, over you, and they will hold you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now, you mm. see how Satan knows the scriptures? He knows the scriptures better than many of us. Yeah. He said that he said he's going to give an angel to help you not to dash your foot against a stone. And Yeshua said he had to quote him the rest of the scriptures, that you, you, you cannot go against Elohim's principles, that you have to be uh, understanding that if you're on a high place and you jump off, you can't tip Elohim mm-hmm. just because he's going to protect you because the angels don't already told you, you're, you're not going to jump off this place and not hurt yourself. And if he had done that, he would have been doing two things. He was been presuming that he can do anything and Elohim is going to protect him. And the second thing, if he had done that, he, he would not have been following Elohim. He would have been following the devil's word. So, so when we insist on doing things that we shouldn't, mm-hmm. and and we purposely do it. That we 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 relinquish the protection. Now you also were saying that the uh, foot of the brazen lever mm-hmm. represents the holding up of righteous living. 
Mm -hmm. and all. Yeah, what it was is that usually the blood that came out of the animals is a simple blood because you remember when we, when they went, ancient Israel went in, they put their hands on the lamb and they confessed their sins over the lamb. Mm -hmm. And when they slayed it, that meant that the sinful life is now in the lamb and they put it in the labor and the labor washes, wash their hands clean and everything. So therefore, uh, the labor is saying, once you become clean, which we do that through baptism, then what happens is the labor is now holding up righteousness because that's where we leave our sins. Okay. All right. And with that, we will go into our next segment. Up next is let's talk about that. So today in let's talk about that. Um, it's going to be, I'm going to ask the pastor a question. And before we get to that, if you have your Bible still, if you can turn with me into the book of first Kings, and we're going to go to chapter two and verse three, if you could turn with me to first Kings chapter two, verse three. And it reads, and guard the watch of Yahuwah Elohoika to walk in his ways, to guard his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the Torah of Moshe, that you may prosper in all that you do and whithersoever you turn yourself. So, Pastor, my question is, I have an idea. I know what the commandments are. But what are statutes? I think that's uh, you, you. You are dealing with a question, uh, not only for us, mm-hmm. but for all of the Christian churches. Okay, mm-hmm. and to my knowledge, when I teach about the statues, for some people who have been in church thirty and fifty years, they don't even know what a statue is. Mm. They they have no idea. And when mm. I reach a statue, they think I'm talking some form. Now. Even one of my favorite authors, which is The Pen of Inspiration, okay. Uh-huh. She even talks about it, but it's apparent, apparently people haven't paid attention to what she's saying. Uh-huh. Let alone paying attention, because she said, I'm the lesser light, but the Bible is the greater light. So they don't pay attention to her, and then they didn't pay attention to the scriptures. Uh-huh. The, what, what the statues are, they are to guard the commandments. Okay. Okay. Now let me let me let me let me illustrate this so this would be so clear that when we leave the session today, you know what a statue is. Okay. 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 Suppose I tell you, Boris, I'm a minister, mm-hmm. and I have a right to marry people. Okay. All right. And so a man comes to me. He said, "You know, Pastor, I want you to marry me." And I said, well, I'd delight to marry you, you know. And he said, okay, I have a partner here. Mm -hmm. And I want to marry this other man. Mm -hmm. And I said, the commandment says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Mm -hmm. He said, yeah. It did say don't commit adultery, but he didn't say in that commandment that I can't marry another man. Mm -hmm. Okay? Okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm puzzled. And, and I, I have to look at him. I have said, I said, sir, you are right. You are right. That commandment doesn't say that you can marry another man. So the statutes guard that commandment that says thou shalt not commit adultery. How okay. does it guard that? Because when you go into the statutes, it tells you in the laws that he gave to Moses that a man should not be with another man. Yeah. It says a woman should not marry another woman. And even Apostle Paul says this in the first uh, book of, of Romans mm-hmm. of how they gave up the affections of another woman to get the same compensation out of a man, and the women were doing the same thing. But if I didn't have the statutes, how would I know that? It guards the commandments. Oh, okay. And so when we study the statutes, they guard the commandments. If you take the guards down, then all of these preachers who have been preaching for years that the law has been done away with because they didn't read the statutes, they they are the ones that's causing violence in society because coming from the church, they said the law has been done away with. 
And then they do away with the statues and say they've been nailed to the cross. <laughs> so why do you think we got so much violence in this world? Wow. You, the preachers who are supposed to be preaching the word, you have torn it down. Mm. Wow. The statues are to God, his word. And this is why, let, let, well, now that you brought that up, let's go to Psalms 119. Okay. Let's, let's clear this thing up forever. Psalms 119th division. And if you can read it on your own, you can understand what David is saying. Okay, Psalms 119. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it takes each uh, letter of the Hebrew alphabet. They got 22 uh, alpha, uh, alphabets mm-hmm. in, in the Jewish language. And he starts with the L, which is the A, and he goes to the Tav, which is the last le- letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Okay. But he takes each letter in sequence and he talks about it. So mm. I'm going to just read one. But if you get time on your own, you'll see how many times in the Psalms 119 that he mentions the statues. Okay, let's look at it. Okay, Psalms 119. I'm reading the first letter. And the reason they got Eliph here for the first letter, because every one of the eight verses, every one of the eight verses start with a letter A in Hebrew. Okay. okay? It doesn't designate that in English, but in Hebrew, all of them start with an A. Now, notice what David says in the first one. I'm going to read the first and the last one. He said, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk not in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his what? Testimonies and that seek him with their whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Now, notice what five says. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statues. Mm. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto thy what? Thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes, O forsake me not utterly. So why if they kept it in days of old, and you say in the New Testament they done away with? They are the ones that help us to understand how to walk in the correct way. You can't get rid of the statue. Now let me just read the last one. Okay. The uh in Psalms 119th division. Okay. All right. And uh let me see. All right. Uh, this is the this is the last this is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's a tall of which we call the T. <clears throat> the T. They got 22 letters. I read the first one, but you can read this all all the way through the Psalms 119. But I'm just reading the first and the last one. Now the last one says, "Let me cry, let me cry, let my cry come near before Thee, O Yahuwah. Give me understanding according to Thy word." Let my supplication come before thee, deliver me according to thy word. My lips shall utter praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes. My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. Let thine hand help me, for I have chosen thy precepts. I have longed for thy salvation, O Yahuwah. And thy law is my delight. Mm-hmm. Let my soul live, and it shall praise thee, and let my judgments help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. Mm-hmm. You can't probably keep the commandments without the statutes. Wow. So when, like in Leviticus, when it talks about a man shouldn't lay with other man. Mm-hmm. So basically, a lot of the things in Leviticus are statutes. They are. Let me let me show you some else that is statutes. It's ironical that you said that. Let us turn to Leviticus. Let us turn to Leviticus. Okay, Leviticus chapter twenty-three. Okay. All right. When we look at uh, Le- 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 Leviticus chapter uh, twenty-three, now this is talking about the festival days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you know, and just as you you have said, you know, uh, not to lay with a man, man land with man, and woman with woman, those are statues. Okay, now when we look at uh, uh, Leviticus, and in Leviticus chapter twenty-three, 
we want to, let me see uh, if I can put my hand on on that, that verse. Okay. Uh, uh, all right. Let us look at verse 41. Now, this is talking about feast days, okay? Okay. And this is why a lot of people, you know, they think the Sabbath is done away with, so they, they, they say, well, in the Ten Commandments, the only thing that you see is a Sabbath, so you don't have to keep the mother feast days. Uh-huh. Okay, now here's what the Bible says. Now, okay, now here's what it says in Leviticus after it summarizes all of the feast days. Now, remember the first feast day that he gave was the weekly, which was a Sabbath, okay? Uh-huh. And then he gave the other seven uh, festivals annually that be kept once a year, okay? But he doesn't mention that in the Fourth Commandment, okay? okay? But here's what the statue said. Uh-huh. Okay, it says in verse 41, and ye shall keep it a feast unto Yehoah seven days in the year. It shall be a statue forever in your generation. Ye shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Uh-huh. In other words, all of the feast days are statues. They wow. ap- actually help us to keep the Sabbath more fully. Uh-huh. We're not only keeping the weekly, but we are keeping the annual Sabbath. Just like last evening, we were keeping Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. Uh-huh. That's a statue that helps us to really keep the Sabbath. Now, let, let, me, let me read this to you uh, on the Day of Atonement. Okay, now here's what it says. It, it says, uh, talking about the Day of Atonement, in verse 31 of the 23rd chapter of uh, Leviticus, ye shall do no manner of work, talking about on the Day of Atonement. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations in all your generations. If it's all generations and all generations have in the past, so that statue is still a bandy. Mm. And, and, and let me just take it one step further, one okay. step further. And, and I want to point this out. In verse 32 of the same 23rd chapter of Leviticus, it said, it shall be unto you a Sabbath. You see? Yeah. He's saying the Day of Atonement is it, it, like a Sabbath. Uh-huh. The statues are telling you in order to really fill it, keep the weekly Sabbath, you got to keep the annual Sabbath of Young Kipper or the Day of Atonement. Okay. It said, and it shall be unto you a Sabbath to rest, and ye shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month, and even unto even shall you celebrate your Sabbath. It's a statue. Okay. So we have the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. and the statue attaches to each one of the Ten Commandments to give a little bit more detail. That's right. So like you said about the Shabbat, Mm -hmm. seven days a week, Mm -hmm. but then the statues go in to expand on the Shabbat, including the feast and everything else. I don't think I could have explained it any better. Let me, let me show you something else. Let me show you something. And, and this is what, this is what the church is struggling with. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Now here's, here's what we're dealing with. Here's what we're dealing with. All right. Uh, uh, let's look at Exodus chapter 19, Exodus Exodus chapter 19. Okay. All right. Now, if you look at Exodus chapter 19, uh, and we're looking at, uh, verse number 19, Exodus 19, 19, it says, and when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and Elohim answered him by a voice. And Jehovah came down upon the Mount Sinai on the top of Mount of the Mount, and Jehovah called Moses up to the top of the Mount, and Moses went up, and Jehovah said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto Jehovah to gaze, and many perish. And let the priests also which come near unto Jehovah sanctify themselves, and let uh, lest Yehoah breaks forth upon them. And Moses said unto Yehoah, The people cannot come up to the mount of Sinai, for thou charges us, saying, Set bounds about the mount and sanctify. And Yehoah said unto him, A way, get down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee, but let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto Yehoah, and break upon them, and they went down unto the people, unto them. Now, while he was up there, the people were trying to break through, okay, and he's trying to talk to uh, Moses. 
Okay. But Elohim saw further than Moses. Moses said, well, we got things to stop him from coming. But Elohim is looking, saying, well, I see they breaking through what you put down there. Get down there. Okay. So when he went down there, notice what verse 20 says. It says, and Elohim did what? He spake mm-hmm. all these words saying, I am Yehoah, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of Bunjah. Thou shalt have no other Elohims before me. Now, if you notice from verses 1 down through 16, well, actually, uh, 17, 1 down to 17, he is, while they were down, he was speaking the commandments, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. He spoke all of the Ten Commandments, okay? That's what he spoke. Okay. Okay, now, let us look at verse 18. It says, again, like he thundered the first time, he said, and all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings, and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. Now, now I want you to pay particular attention to 19. And they said unto Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear, but let not Elohim speak with us lest we die. Now I want you to notice that. They mm-hmm. said, Moses, we hear the thunder and the light, lightning and we hear the trumpets and we hear the Elohim's voice. And they thought that Elohim was mad at him, but all he was saying is, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land in which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And the little children started running and hiding and ducking behind rocks trying to hide from him. But he was just saying, Honor your father and your mother. That was in the, in the, in, in the Ten Commandments. Wow. And they said, Moses, we don't want to hear your voice. Okay, now, uh-huh. let's notice uh, as we read a little bit further. They said... Let you speak to us, Moses, not him. It said, and Moses said unto the people, fear not, for Elohim has come to prove you, and that this fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And if you read the narrative, mm-hmm. Elohim says, so if that's the way they want to do it, then you, Moses, take what I say and give it to the people. And what he, even though he uttered the Ten Commandments, he wanted to tell them the statutes too. Yeah. But they didn't want to hear it from him. He said, well, I'm going to give it to you anyway, but I'm going to give it to you through Moses. You don't have to listen to me give it. So Moses took it, and he wrote it down, and he gave it to him. So what the churches are doing today, they are saying, see, all he gave was the Ten Commandments. But you're not reading further in the Scriptures to see why he did not speak to them, the statutes, because they didn't want to hear it. So he said, I give it to Moses to give to you. So the statutes are just as binding as the Ten Commandments, but they didn't want to hear the statutes. Wow. Wow. That's that's uh, interesting because, you know, I've always wondered what really were the statutes because you read a lot of it because you always hear the commandments, statutes and judgments. And next week, and let's talk about it, I want to deal with what are the judgments, and okay. all, you know, and how all they tie in. I mean, now I'm going to have a more of a clearer picture how the statutes tie into the commandments. Mm-hmm. And so now I want to know how the judgments play into those two. Okay, we'll get some insight into that. All right. So before we wrap this up, Pastor, can you take us to the throne? Father, it's been a trying week for many of us. We've gone through some ordeals that has been devastating. But still, we see your hand of glory in all of this. We can see you more plainly. We still trust and put our faith in thee. For you are the only true Elohim that we have. And if we, in times of trouble, give you up, we've given up the best thing that can help us through. So we thank you for your blessing. We thank you for our loved ones. We thank you most of all for Yeshua who died for us and help us to walk in his words, his statutes, his judgments, and his testimonies that when he does come, he can see that we treasure the Torah. And the Torah is wrapped up into the whole life of Yeshua and when we accept the Torah, we accept the Yeshua. And when we accept Yeshua, we accept the Son of Elohim and the Holy Spirit that gives us the Torah and the Father who gives us the Holy Spirit. In his name we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. I am Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington, and we are the Science of the Covenant. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. But the everlasting mercy of Yahuwah is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto his children, children, 
to such as guard his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. Until next week, Shalom. <laughs>